Our scripture lesson today is a rather long one, and Louise summarized it very well. If you haven't, if you're not familiar with the story, you can read it while I try to preach. But I do want you to look at, and we'll read together, the first two verses, because these verses introduce not only the parable of the prodigal son, but the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And they raise a question that these parables answer. Let's read together then, beginning at verse 1 and verse 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. After I retired from the pulpit here in 2001, many of you know that I did an extended interim at our church in Greenville, South Carolina, and there it was that I met a man named Leo Hill. He was an elderly man, about the age I am, and Leo had had become what most of us would call a self-made man. He'd kind of pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. His mother died when he was seven years old. He lived the remainder of his youth with a father who was addicted to alcohol. He worked his way through college and through law school to become one of the premier lawyers in South Carolina. But there were other things about Leo that not everyone knew. For one thing, he loved to write poetry. And after his death, I had the privilege of seeing some of those books of poetry that he'd written. He was a kind man, a gentleman. And one Sunday, after I'd done a sermon on this particular passage entitled The Elder Brother, he met me at the door and said, Good sermon. Uh, By the way, I'm working on a sermon on the fatted calf. And I laughed and patted him on the back, and I said, I bet you are, Leo. And I thought that was the end of it. Long after I had finished the interim, several months, I get this large envelope in the mail with the prestigious law firm return address, and I thought surely I was being summoned for some traffic or otherwise infraction during my time in Greenville. And I open it up and pull out this document, and it And what I read, the story of the fatted calf. And so this morning, because the parable of the prodigal son is so very familiar, and because I think that all of us can readily identify with one, if not all, of the characters in that parable, I want to introduce it by reading a few sentences from Leo's sermon on the fatted calf. It begins this way. I'm a calf born and living on a farm near the city owned by a man with two sons. Both sons worked on the farm. One was a rather intense, serious sort of fellow. The other was somewhat lazy, but he was a lot of fun to be around. He was a free-spirited youth who had a full measure of curiosity about life. There was a lot of discussion between the father and those two sons about their destinies. The younger son said that Humans are more sensitive than animals like me. They have a hunger after more things. 
They can take more opportunities to find themselves. The elder son disagreed. He believes that you find yourself in dedication to hard work. And then he goes on throughout this story giving a lot of kind of homespun philosophy from the fatted calf's point of view. But there is one point that I think is significant in Leo's interpretation of the parable from the calf's point of view. And it's this, that he gives us a profound insight into the family dynamics of the father and the two sons. For example, the calf says, I heard the old men talk to the master when they gathered together. You're too easy on that boy, they said. If you spare the rod and spoil the child, you know what's going to happen to him. Make him see the value of hard work. His brother knows how to work hard. He's steady and serious and businesslike in every way. But the master patiently answered by saying, My sons must find their own way. I treat them both equally, and I love them both the same. Sometimes a father must let a child have his freedom. Today is Father's Day, and all of us who are fathers, whether of older children or younger children, have learned or will soon learn that we have to allow our children to have a measure of freedom to find themselves. Someone has put it well when he said, we have the responsibility as fathers to give our children roots but also give them wings when it's, a t- when it's time for them to be on their own. There are many other quotes from the fatted calf that I won't spend your time with today. But just from those few sentences, we see that the parable of the prodigal son is a slice of family life, an authentic slice of family life in every age in Jesus' time as well as in our time. The prodigal son is every young person who has to determine how far he can go in finding his own way. And the far country is anywhere that young people are exposed to unrestrained living. And the elder brother is anyone who has to deal with the injustices of life, whether they're perceived or whether they're real. And the father is every parent who must learn that he has the responsibility to give his children, his offspring, both roots and wings, the responsibility to love them without reservation. And so with each reading of the parable, it becomes even more apparent, I think, that the message of the parable of the prodigal son can't be contained in just one capsule form. Instead, the parable is like a many-faceted gem that has exquisite prisms of, of light and color. And each examination of that precious gem, the parable, enables us to see different and unforeseen details in that story. For example, there are the themes of love and joy, of repentance and grace and forgiveness and acceptance 
and also the twin themes of resentment and self-righteousness. And we could apply all of those various themes in such a way, in such a self-evident way, that it hardly seems necessary to talk about the interpretation of the parable. And yet it's important, I think, to look at this parable not only in the form that it's laid down like a parable, but also in the historical setting. Those first verses that we read together, now the tax collectors and sinners had gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered under their breath, this man eats and welcomes sinners and tax collectors, eats with sinners and welcomes sinners. And all three of the parables in that trilogy remind us of the answer to that muttering about why Jesus eats and associates with and sometimes parties with sinners and those who are on the margins of society. And the answer is because he loves them, because he loves them, everyone, and because God has placed such a high value on the life of every human being. That's an application, I think, that the world could make today when we look at the slaughter in Syria or that in Liberia or Bosnia in years past. But there's also a larger context to the parable. And we find that way over in the ninth chapter, earlier in the ninth chapter of Luke, in the 51st verse, when Jesus becomes aware that his time, the time of his earthly ministry is drawing near, drawing short. The scriptures say that because he knew what was held in store for him, that he deliberately set his face to go toward Jerusalem. And then in chapters 9 through 14, he begins to tell stories that point up the urgency of why he came, of his mission and his purpose to seek and to save the lost. And he tells stories like, like that of the banquet where the host provides a great banquet and people made excuses about coming in and he sends his servants out to bring people in from the outside. The urgency of becoming a part of the kingdom. He talks about how important it is to watch not to let your lamps go out while you're waiting and watching. And then finally in the 13th chapter, he says, O Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who sent them, how often I long to gather you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing, you would not hear. And these chapters point up the unrelenting grace of God God's amazing grace is constantly coming to humankind, calling us to be a part of his kingdom, to return to the fold. But equally they show how we make excuses and how we constantly reject that call. It's a pattern that's portrayed not only here, but portrayed throughout the scriptures. Jesus told this parable and the two before it to to make it quite clear that God loves us without reservation, that God places 
a supreme value on the human soul and to show what extremes he is willing to go in the sending of his son in the incarnation, the laying down of his life in the crucifixion on behalf of those who reject his call. And here in the parable, we are made painfully aware of that familiar pattern. At the outset of the parable, we read that this spoiled child thinks that someone else owes him a living. He thinks that he is not accountable to anyone in the manner in which he lives his life. And I wonder today on Father's Day how many of us may have had to contend with such a spoiled child. And I wonder how we reacted as a father if we had to contend with an issue like that. Several years ago on Father's Day, my daughter Lisa, who's up here in the choir, gave me a book entitled Posterity, a collection of letters that well-known famous Americans had written to their sons. And by the way, I loaned that book to somebody. If you have it, I hope you'll see me <laughs> after, after church. But in that book, there are, there are many stories. Some of the fathers just heap praises on their sons, just what great lives they've lived and how much they love them. And then there are some letters in that book that talk about how important it is for their sons to stand on their own two feet, to take accountability for their life. If the story of the prodigal son was told outside of scripture, most of us would agree that that spoiled boy should learn to stand on his own two feet and that he deserves to eat with the pigs if he's going to go out and live his life in that way. But the text says, that he came to his senses. He remembered, I wonder if maybe he remembered what a home-cooked meal tasted like. Or that he thinks if he goes home, maybe he'll just get another handout. Or maybe he truly realized what a jerk he was and how that if he really repented of his terrible lifestyle, that he could cast himself on his father's mercy and receive a second chance. After all, the scriptures say that he said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In any event, he made his way home. And what a homecoming it was for the poor little rich boy who had come to his senses. The parable's traditional title, I think, encourages us to focus on the prodigal son. That's the name of the parable. Several evenings ago, I was in a social situation with one of our members, and uh, she confided that she wouldn't be in church Sunday, but wanted to know what I was going to preach. In fact, everybody I saw last week said they wouldn't be in church today. <laughs> I don't know whether they're trying to tell me something. But she said, you know, it took me years to realize that that parable was not just about the prodigal son. And I think sometimes if we focus entirely on him and on his coming back to the father, we, we miss the element about the elder brother. And we make it kind of an anticlimax. 
the elder brother who stayed home, looked after the farm, was obedient, honored his father in every way, paid his dues. That arouses a lot of sympathy on my part. I, I was the firstborn with an overdeveloped sense of duty and responsibility, and I was eager to please and not to disappoint. And so I can understand how that elder brother felt. The child that stays home and helps with the family business, that cares for his aging parents, the one who is taken for granted, maybe taken advantage of. The elder brother worked hard. He was decent and respectable. Why shouldn't he be offended and resentful? And we could spend a great deal of time comparing those two boys and deciding just from what we read there which one really should have been blessed by the father. But this is where we need to be reminded again that this is not just a, any story, any sleazy tabloid expose. It's not just to be understood from a human point of view, but it's a parable. And we should not second guess either the prodigal or the elder son. But the real point of the parable is not the elder brother's resentment. It's not the prodigal's debauchery. It's the unconditional love of the father. A father that does not pit his sons against one another. The father who rejects neither. The father who loves them both, even when they're both unlovely. The father who reaches out in love and in so doing answers the question about why Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because he loves them. Because God the Father loves them, each one. Last Sunday morning, we heard a report from the Revitalization Committee in an effort to, this committee is working in an effort to renew and revitalize congregational life. And in that report, we heard that the Great Commission was chosen as a theme verse, and we heard that as a matter of first and primary importance, if we are really to become renewed and revitalized, was a matter of outreach, reaching out to people who may not be like us, reaching out to people who may be on the margins of society, reaching out to people because God loves them and because we are commanded to love them as well. And so the message is that every message, it's a message that every earthly father knows when he looks at his children that he's brought into the world. It's the message that every child or every son knows when he experiences the love of his parents. And it is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting our trespasses against us. The famed psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said that of all of his patients that he treats in a, the psychiatric ward of a hospital, if they could really understand how much God loves them and how willing God is to forgive them of their sin, 
that 75% of them could walk out of the hospital the next day as whole persons. At the outset, I mentioned that we can readily see ourselves in these characters. Maybe today you see yourself as a father who needs to be forgiving of a wayward child. Or maybe you see yourself today as an elder brother who realizes the extent of your parents' constancy and who needs to repent of your jealousy and resentment of your siblings. Or maybe you see yourself as a prodigal who needs to come to to your senses, or maybe you already have. And maybe all of us need to realize how capable we are to be that prodigal son, to go astray, to be lost in the far country, and to lose our way. In conclusion, I want to try to illustrate that reality. Last week I attended a meeting of our General Senate. I'm not going to tell you about the Senate. It's too ugly to tell you. But I want to tell you about just several things that that occurred that I heard not related really to Senate. The first thing was early on in the week heard on the news that a Methodist minister in a prominent Methodist church in Greenville, South Carolina had been arrested in a sting sting proposition because he was soliciting prostitution. And then later at our meeting of presbytery, I learned that an ordained minister in our presbytery had been stripped of his ordination because he had and barred from the communion table because of he had broken not only his ordination vows but his marriage vows and was unwilling to be repentant, even though the presbytery had worked with him. And then I came home and I was reading through or scanning through all of the papers that had bundled while I was gone. And this editorial just jumped out at me, John Edwards' mistrial. And the opening sentence in that was, former Senator John Edwards dodged whatever a judge might have had in store for him in the courtroom, but it's doubtful he'll be so fortunate in how he's judged by the American people. And I think perhaps all of our reaction here today in each of these three cases might be the same. They really got what they deserved. They made their bed, let them sleep in it. And then I, on Saturday night, picked up my Sunday school book to read my Sunday school lesson. We've been studying in our class What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. And it was almost as if God was guiding my finger along the page when I read these words. Those judged as undesirable by everyone else are infinitely desirable by God. I hear calls, Yancey said, from some Christians that we should show less mercy and more morality. Calls that hearken back to the style of the Old Testament. Then he said, forgiveness, 
is not a part of our human nature, but forgiveness is part and parcel of God's nature. And then he told this story to illustrate that point. It's a heart-rending story. He told how that he'd been friends with this person for years, a person that was married, had two children. He was a producer of Christian films. He had worked with outstanding Christian leaders all across the country. And then one night he called to say, I'm writing a book. I'm coming out of the closet as a gay person. And Yancey told about his own struggle with dealing with that news. And he told how that this man's friends and associates all over the country literally turned their backs on him, wouldn't shake hands with him when they saw him. And how that later his parents were, were interviewed on television and, and the person doing the interview said to the parents, a lot of people have said your son is an abomination to Christendom. And the mother with tears in her eyes and a shaky voice said, well, he may very well be an abomination but to us, he is our pride and joy. I think that's the message of the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son and each one of us whose prodigal deserves to be in the pigsty. We deserve what we may be given by society and how we may be judged. But the fact of the matter is, God has loved us with a love that is not only everlasting, but a love that knows no bounds. Not only has he loved us, but he has called us back when we find ourselves in the far country. He welcomes us home. And where one lost soul, one lost sinner is found, we're told that there is great rejoicing in heaven. May God give us the grace to understand the amazing grace of God, to receive it, to believe it, to live in it. Let us pray.